Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we have with us a wonderful guest who I think you all will find very intriguing and informative for your own personal life. Dr. Alyssa Adams is a clinical psychologist and relationship coach specializing in helping high-achieving, sensitive men and women create relationships of joy, ease, and purpose. She supports highly sensitive people to address negative beliefs, to reinvent new relationship patterns, and to wrangle their inner critic to create meaningful relationships. And Dr. Adams offers individual coaching virtually via phone or Zoom. So welcome, welcome, welcome to our show, Alyssa. We're excited to dive in and talk to you. I wanted to start with you just telling our listeners how you got into clinical psychology and how you moved from that to relationship coaching and what that journey has been like for you. Sure. Well, hi, Denise and Samantha and all your listeners. Um, I'm just really excited to be here um, and to talk with you guys today. Um, so, yeah, my journey, um, you know, really, even just kind of growing up and um, throughout high school and kind of young adulthood, I was always just so fascinated by the idea that you could, like, just by talking and being with someone, help them with their problems and with their issues and help them kind of restructure how they think, restructure how they view the world. And it was just incredibly fascinating to me that you could do this, like just by talking, right? <laughs> and just by having like really powerful dialogue and helping people explore these different aspects of themselves. So I really wanted to learn more about how that happens. You know, like what's the magic there? <laughs> how does that come about? Um, went into undergrad, in psychology and then went forward into my doctoral program in psychology and just loved it, loved studying about that, kind of how do we create change in our life? How do we heal from past things? How do we move into this better version of ourselves? So I've always kind of been interested in empathy um, and kind of how that relates to life and how it relates to different decisions that we make. So I kind of stumbled into learning a little bit more about empathy and really the highly sensitive person and kind of moved into just learning more about how that impacts our interpersonal relationships and what are our unique needs and how our relationships look just a bit different maybe than other folks in their relationships and really just kind of dug into that and learned more about it, and particularly in the area of romantic relationships, although relationships certainly like permeate all parts of our lives. So I really moved into coaching because it was just also fascinating to me to be in this relationship with people where it's very goal-driven, goal-focused, and really moving the person forward on a particular path to achieve a particular outcome, and then just helping them with these kind of bumps along the way. So I certainly still love therapy, certainly still, still appreciate that healing experience for people. But I've just really connected with this kind of coaching approach um, and being able to really help people a bit more in a focused way and a bit more kind of future present. That's incredible. And it aligns with what you really came onto the planet to do. Because when you talk about this, it's coming from such a place of heart and connection and wanting to be of service, or at least that's, that's what it feels like. You had shared that the first time you heard the word empath, I'd love to hear that story if you'd like to share it. Sure. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of a neat story. So I was, um, in my doctoral program in graduate school. 
and training to be a psychologist. So part of that training, uh, as you likely know, is that you um, are videotaped doing your therapy sessions. So you're watching like hours and hours of yourself, like on camera, right, doing therapy. And so you're kind of evaluating that with your other members of your training program and then also with your supervisor. I went in to meet with one of my just like favorite supervisors who really helped, um, helped me kind of craft, you know, who I am as a therapist. And so we're in there and we're talking and we're like watching this video, which is always a little bit anxiety producing, right? Because you're looking at yourself and then this person is like critiquing you, um, whose opinion you care about. So I'm, I'm listening and he's, he's sharing with me just kind of tips and pointers and we're talking and he, said that, you know, you, when you express empathy, because this is something we talk a lot about in therapy and, and in working with any client, right, in that kind of healing work is how do you express empathy? How do you convey that to people? Um, and he said, you have this, like, um, empathy that is really soulful, um, and I can feel it and experience it as you're sharing different empathic statements or demonstrating your empathy in session. And I was like, wow, that is so, that's just such a powerful comment and compliment. It stayed with me for all these years um, and it was such a kind thing to notice. And then he says, have you heard the word empath? And I was like, no, I don't, I'm not sure what that is. So then his next question was, do you watch Star Trek? And I was like, uh, I, I don't. <laughs> so he then shared that there's this like character on Star Trek who they refer to as an empath. And it's, it's basically this character who feels other people's emotions, right? And sort of knows what's happening for them and, and really can experience what they're experiencing. So he's describing what an empath is, as he's describing this character in Star Trek, which was kind of fascinating to me, right? So then of course I, I like go home and try to learn about Star Trek and like who this character is and what she's like. And it was really interesting because it, it really resonated with me as I'm reading about this, this person, this character and like what that looks like as an empath. Um, it was just so cool to be able to kind of really connect with that because I think until somebody points that out to you, you kind of just assume that everyone else experiences other people's emotions in the same way or what's happening for others in the same way. I think having that brought to my attention was so important and such an interesting kind of indicator, like one of those really turning points in your life where you start to think about, okay, well, how, what does that do for me? How is that important in my life? So yeah, so that was just really an interesting thing and then kind of brought up all of this thinking around what is it like to be an empath in life and also an empath therapist or a person who's working in a client-based or healing-based profession and what are some of our kind of unique challenges um, that I'm you know, still, still trying to really make sure that I hone in on and appreciate for myself. But I'm sure you guys probably have addressed some of the same things. But yeah, so that's kind of how I first heard of it. I think that proves that knowledge is power because sometimes just recognizing who you are in relationship to others is really the ultimate awakening and empowerment. Do you find in your work, Alyssa, that empaths tend to get into relationships with non-empaths? So, yes, yes, definitely. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways that this can look. But um, I think for a variety of reasons, because we are these kind of sponges and these 
people who are always very in tune with others. I think people who pull for needing sometimes more of that support and affection and attention and they kind of thrive on having that other person there um, to support them and really be in in the weeds with their their world, which cannot always be so healthy. Not that that's every person who's not an empath, certainly, but those people who are on that spectrum of um, maybe being in an unhealthy place and needing more from a partner than a balanced relationship, I think can sometimes gravitate towards empath. In my work with folks, I do hear a lot from women and men, but more so women, since I just work with them more often, about being in these kind of relationship dynamics where they have lost themselves in the relationship. They have given so much. And the other partner is not only not an empath, but is also having some significant life difficulties or personality difficulties or the structure of who they are really pulls for kind of these unhealthy things that they need in a relationship. And, you know, empaths tend to give and try to sometimes solve the other person's pain so that they don't feel it as much um, because they're so connected. So then there becomes this kind of dynamic that can be really unhealthy for the empath. I'm just thinking of, I, I was a lot of, this has been coming up a lot with readings that I've been doing with people lately and just trying, a lot of us that are highly sensitive, that are empathic, that are you know, just, we came this way, we're, we're accepting ourselves in a way we may never have previously in this lifetime, trying to adjust to the fact that it's okay to do it differently, that mm -hmm. For us, a relationship is going to look very different than what the traditional model might be. And to find a partner or a person that can accept that you may not do it the same way as what they see a relationship should look like. Could you address that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's such a great point, too, because it's, it's moving, shifting into this place of feeling really comfortable with who you are and communicating about it with your partner in this unapologetic way, right? Sometimes when I'm talking with folks about communicating their needs in a relationship and kind of communicating about their sensitivity, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of fear that comes up there and, you know, being kind of seen as different and then being in this place of trying to change almost who you are to connect with someone else or to, you know, reduce or ignore your sensitivity or your empathic nature. And I do talk with people um, since a lot of this is sort of just temperament based, right? Just kind of how you're wired. So I, I share with them to think of it as if someone asked you to like change your eye color, right? You can't, you can't do that. <laughs> so you can't be like, oh, I really need a partner with brown eyes, but you have blue eyes. So I'm going to need you to change them, right? Like that, that would be, you would think that was crazy, right? So appreciating that sensitivity, that empathic nature as just part of who you are, part of how you're wired. So, you know, for example, does that mean that you're going to need more downtime? Does that mean that you're going to need less stimulation? Does that mean that you're going to hit overwhelm or overstimulation before someone else? Sure. And that's fine, right? So what? What does that say about you? You know, it just says that you need a little bit more of these times to recover, you know, just as one example. So I think sometimes people end that sentence in different ways, right? And, and when I ask, what does that say about you? Well, it says that I'm, I'm different and that I'm going to not be able to, you know, go to all of these different events that the person wants to go to, who maybe is their non-sensitive partner. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, yeah, so what? 
so so you need a little bit more time to recoup. That's fine. So talking about how to really kind of accept those aspects of yourself as just non-negotiables and how to communicate in this really empowered way about those things can be really helpful for folks and can really shift how they think about themselves. Right, which is about moving beyond resistance and into acceptance. You know, your work talks a lot about an empath and a highly sensitive person. How do you or do you see a difference between the two? And if so, what is that difference that you've seen in your work? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so, so I put empaths, you know, so I think of based on just the work I've done and the reading I've done that, you know, all people who identify as empaths are also highly sensitive people. And also people who are highly sensitive are not all empaths. So highly sensitive person is sort of the larger umbrella. And then as like one sub column there is empath. So there are different things that kind of make up a highly sensitive person. So we think of the person who is defined as a highly sensitive person has, um, you know, a tendency to reflect more. There's more depth of processing. They're more prone to overstimulation. They also have in more intense empathic reactions. They're emotionally responsive. Um, also sensitive to subtle stimuli and just subtleties in um, people and interactions in the environment. So one of those kind of four things for the highly sensitive person is empathy. So the way that I kind of conceptualize it is that people who are empaths kind of have that as maybe their strongest part of being a highly sensitive person. Is that the, the empathy, emotional responsiveness, that connection, that feeling, that intuitive piece is like their superpower. You know, that's their strongest one. But as a sort of subcategory of highly sensitive person, because you can be a highly sensitive person and not be an empath, but there is lots of research too out there on the highly sensitive person. So when you try to like dive into the literature, like what does it say for working with someone who's an empath? I kind of go back then to the highly sensitive person literature since it's kind of our closest corollary. I think one of the biggest issues for empaths, for highly sensitive people, is learning how to set boundaries with mm -hmm. family of origin, with partners, with friends, in a work environment, and even with ourselves. And Samantha and I have talked a lot about this on a on many, many of the shows about how important boundaries are. Is is that something that you work extensively with your, your clients on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as you guys have felt this, you know, I've felt it too, not only for my own life, but certainly in working with others. And, you know, I think boundaries are so, so important. And we often work together on like expanding how we think about boundaries and expanding kind of how we conceptualize boundaries. And um, I think, you know, certainly it is setting limits around your time and how you want to be treated and all of those things. But there are these kind of subtle boundary violations <laughs> that tend to happen like all the time for us. So really bringing awareness to those things where like, you know, a good friend calls and says, hey, I really need to talk to you for 20 minutes. And you know it's going to be a much longer conversation than that. And you're already really depleted. You've had a long day. You're really tired. And what every fiber of you is saying is, I just need to rest and recover right now, but I can be there for this person tomorrow when I'm recharged. 
right, that, that pull to respond and kind of ignore what you need for that other person, you know, I put that into the bucket of, of boundaries, right, where it's not just, okay, I'm not going to go out on Friday because I went out on Saturday, or I'm not going to say yes to this thing at my child's school because I'm exhausted and I have a million other things going on. But it's also these kind of subtle boundary pieces where, you know, in terms of dating too, I see folks where maybe their partner says, hey, I really want to go to a, this concert or this like loud restaurant. And the person is feeling, well, I really don't want to go. And I, I told them I'd prefer to, to be in a quieter space. So it's this more like subtle dynamic then where the person is kind of poking at the door of your boundary, right? And then it's up to you to be able to say, well, a concert sounds like something that would be maybe better at a different time, but I'd love to go to this quieter place, you know, as I, as I previously shared, um, so that we can have some quiet time together and we can talk um, in a place where we can get to know each other. So just noticing those kind of smaller, like knocks at the door of your boundaries <laughs> where you can have that opportunity to really hold yourself and the other person accountable for those limits that you set. That's so important. And, you know, the way I used to set boundaries before I read the four agreements was through lying. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like if someone called me up and said, hey, can you do this Friday night? And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to hurt their feelings. So I would just say, oh, sorry, can't get a babysitter, you know, or whatever. I have to work. And then I read the four agreements. And one of those agreements is to be authentic with your word. And I thought, oh, I don't think I'm doing that. And so now when I'm invited to do something that I don't want to do, I'm honest about it. And it's, it's hard because I'm so afraid of hurting a friend's feelings. But I think it has helped me become so much more empowered in my day-to-day -day life and in my relationship with myself. So now I'll, if they say, hey, do you want to go to this super loud bar and listen to this super loud band you've never heard of play? I will say, I really don't have the energy for that, but I would still love to see you. Do you want to do brunch on Sunday? So I think it helps a lot to recognize and, and like you were saying before, just accept where you are on your path and to be honest and authentic with yourself and with others in a loving way. Mm -hmm. And it's made my friendships a lot stronger as well. I wanted to ask you how the empath can grow into their empathy and see it as a superpower rather than as a weakness. I was raised in a family that definitely not consciously, but it was a subtle message we all got that sensitivity is a weakness and your emotions are a weakness. Mm. You know, I was the sensitive one in the family and, oh my God, my family loved to be like, oh, there goes Samantha. Look, she's going to run up to her room and slam the door because she's mad again. You know, and they'd all laugh. <laughs> I'd sit on the end of my bed in my little preteen angst. So I'm trying really hard to raise my kids to honor their emotions. Even when those emotions piss me off, I still try to teach them, I get it, you're in a bad mood, go be in a bad mood. Just, you know, don't share it with us at this moment. How can an empath as an adult, because I think a lot of people can relate to that experience of, you know, being the sensitive one in the family and, and being taught your emotions are what make you weak. 
how how do you coach people to move beyond that definition and see it as the the false definition that it is? Yeah, that's such a powerful question. And that is sometimes a huge piece of the work. So, you know, in reading and researching about the empath and the highly sensitive person, we're not, at least in North America, in the United States, we, we don't exactly fit the cultural ideal, right? That person who is kind of a risk taker, who's going into situations without thinking, who is just taking on a million things and has endless amounts of kind of energy and is saying yes to everything, you know, we may not be that. And there are lots of messages, some subtle, some really outright that we get probably like our whole way through childhood, often, maybe not in every family, but so often that kind of highlight or point that out to us. So we learn to cope in all of these different ways with that. And maybe we kind of shut down our sensitivity. Maybe we try to pretend it's not there or we rebel against it in a lot of different ways. So I think as an adult, some of the work comes into learning more about it and understanding more about the really unique strengths that you can bring to a relationship, whatever kind of relationship that is, and the unique strengths that you can bring as a person just to your world, to your job, to um, not only your relationships, but to just your community. So if you think about those folks who are, you know, like empaths and highly sensitive people, right, who have this depth of processing, this tendency to really reflect and be thoughtful about what comments they bring up in different situations. So even if you're not the person at the table at a meeting that's coming up with 50 ideas and you're saying them as you're thinking, but you're the person who's maybe coming up with one idea, but you've reflected on it and you've thought it out carefully and it's a really great idea, right? So you share that with the group, but also kind of learning about what it looks like to kind of appreciate that, that depth, that sensitivity, being emotionally responsive to a partner is almost always something a partner wants, right? So being able to so naturally be emotionally responsive to people and be a support person without losing yourself in the process, right? Being a support person, being emotionally connected to someone in such a natural way, to me, is so powerful. And it's something that is to be acknowledged and appreciated in, in yourself. And also just getting more and more comfortable with, not trying to be some way that you're not wired to be. So building that confidence is a piece of it because so, so often because of all of these kind of messages that we get, our, the self-esteem of the empath or the highly sensitive person can take a hit. So in adulthood, really going through like all of the unique things about you, what are your values? What do you care about? What are you just innately really good at? learning more about how you contribute to the world and to people and um, making sure that you're having a really strong part of meaning and purpose in your life because that is something that's important to us based on kind of how we're wired. So thinking about it in that way can be interesting and helpful for folks. One of the other things that's mm -hmm. kind of neat is there, there's a comparison. One of the books on a highly sensitive person, there's this neat comparison like you know, many, many years ago, thinking about highly sensitive people versus not, that we need these like 
warrior kings, right? We need the warriors to like go out there into battle and kind of act and then think after, right? We need those folks. But then we also need this other group that is this more kind of like priestly advisor, as they kind of call them, this group that reflects and helps others to think deeply and helps others to process information in a deep way and consider the emotions, consider the more artistic nature of things. So that's always something that's kind of nice to remind myself of, like, oh, there, there are times when this is like a really, really beneficial thing to have. And like, how do I bring some of that into my day-to-day -day life? You just made a really, really great point about people building up their self-esteem, feeling better about themselves, being able to show their true face in a way they might not have been able to in the past. A common thread seems to be in past relationships, there have been narcissists, there have been abusers, there have been, what tips could you give someone to break through that fear to be able to put themselves out there again, to try again, to not, because I think for a lot of folks that may be more of an introvert personality, it can become very comfortable to block out the world or have a select few people they connect with. And it almost becomes more comfortable not to risk being in a relationship because of that. So do you see that a lot in your practice? Absolutely. Yes, I definitely see that a lot in my practice. Gosh, yeah, I've talked to several women just recently, actually, who have talked about being in these really emotionally draining relationships, um, whether it was with someone who was narcissistic or in that kind of spectrum of personality or someone who's just really draining, really emotionally draining to be around. And, you know, they really describe this process of just losing themselves. And we hop on the phone and I'm asking them, like, well, what do you like? And what, are, what do you value? And what do you envision for your relationships? And they're like, I don't know. I used to know, but I don't know anymore, right? Because there's this process of kind of just losing yourself when you become so immersed and so pulled into another person's world where before we even build up self-esteem, we're more just learning about like, okay, well, let's reconnect with who you are. You know, who are you as a person, an independent individual outside of a relationship? So I think, I think that it can sometimes be tough to like, hop back out there and start dating again without really being able to pause and shine a light on your patterns and your beliefs because I don't want folks to like hop back into another relationship that's very reminiscent of an old relationship you know, we get into these patterns and we don't even notice them until we actually shine a light on them and pay attention to them and and look at our previous relationships and look at our beliefs about relationships and our beliefs about who we are in relation to another person. So being able to kind of do that work like before we get back out there can be really helpful since, you know, sometimes we just repeat these patterns unless we kind of pa hit pause and think about why this is happening. And, you know, I know so many of folks who are empathic and highly sensitive are really intuitive beings and connecting with that intuition a bit there are often conversations that I have with women who get intuitive hits or they have those gut reactions where they know things about their partner. They know things about the dynamic that's not healthy, right? They get these gut feelings, ooh, that might be a red flag or ooh, that might be a red flag or that didn't feel very good. And then they intellectualize it, right? They explain that away. Oh, well, 
you know, I'm just being this or I'm just being that or that's crazy. Why would I think that? Right. So there becomes this pattern of like actually noticing that this person or this relationship may not have been so healthy and then like talking yourself out of it and staying in it until it hits such a crisis point that you just have to get out. So we also talk a bit about like learning to trust some of that and not talking ourselves out of, of our intuition. That way. I knew what that struggle was like. <laughs> That's right. We have no idea what you're talking about, Elizabeth. <laughs> I think that is so important to always trust your gut, trust your instincts, and then have the courage to see them through to where those instincts will lead you. I think that's really, really important. I also struggle with that in my career. And I'd love for you to address that because I think other empaths do too. I have a lot of clients and listeners who will say to me, and this is not in an ego-based way, I promise, but they'll just say, why aren't you out there more? You know, why aren't you teaching retreats? Why aren't you presenting at conferences? And I'll get opportunities to do those things, especially like stage mediumship. And the thought terrifies me. And so I say no to all of that. And I'll refer other people, and then I'll see the other people doing the thing that was initially offered to me, and it looks so fun, and I'm like, gosh, why didn't I say yes to that? So my struggle is, do I say no to those things because I am intrinsically shy, or do I say no to those things because I'm honoring the empath within who isn't comfortable in those situations? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm stuck in this black and white thinking. Like, either it's my fault because I'm shy, and that's not a good thing, or the other the positive side is, oh, no, Samantha, you're just acknowledging and empowering the empathy within, and you prefer to work behind the scenes, and that's fine. Stay small. So yeah. I just wonder if, if that's a common thing or if, again, I'm the only one thinking that. But I always wonder, you know, at what point is it shyness and at what point is it, no, you're just embracing where you feel comfortable. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I love that. And that is a question that I think – that I've heard people struggle with in sort of various ways, more in like just my, my personal life, hearing, you know, friends and colleagues and other people kind of struggle in that way. And, you know, I, I've had sort of similar struggles in, in certain ways, but I think that there is this, this balance, at least how I appreciate it, between understanding and appreciating who you are as an empath or a sensitive person, and then also having these opportunities to kind of stretch and take you a little bit outside of your comfort zone. You know, I don't mean doing kind of things that would be incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly really outside of what you feel as a person. You know, what are the bounds for you? I think always exploring the the bounds of comfort is interesting, especially for empaths and introverts and people who, you know, kind of need this more reflective time, need this more time to recharge. And also, being able to play with the edge there, right? Like, what is the boundary for me? You know, is this going to be a really stimulating experience to present in front of people or get on stage? Like, yes, it is. Does that mean that I should not do it because I'm more comfortable over here? You know, I don't know, but it doesn't mean that empaths don't sense that people should avoid the highly stimulating situations all the time but that maybe for the the next couple days after it you allow yourself the opportunity and time to hold up and just do things that you find recharging and re-energizing so I 
think it depends, right? And if we see these same opportunities come up again and again, and we're intrigued by them, we're interested in them, there is something pulling us to them. So sometimes I will talk with folks about playing with that edge of your comfort zone where, you know, just because we're empaths or sensitive or even introverted, which I'm also introverted, we don't have to just stay inside all the time, right? Like we can go out there, do these things that are on the edge of our comfort zone, but do them in a way that's more manageable and fits with our disposition, right? Like maybe we don't set up a week of presentations, but maybe we pick one that we feel really called to do and then allow ourselves a lot of recovery time after or a lot of quiet preparation time, you know, but, but being able to sort of balance that so that it doesn't hold you back from doing things that you may want to do. That makes a lot of sense. That's a great answer. Thank you. Oh, and I did want to add too before when we were talking about, you know, being the sensitive one in your family. If anyone listening has a little child who is the empath in your family and they're little, like, you know, under nine, a really good book that helped my kids is Dr. Seuss. Um, I think it's called My Many Color Days. Have you guys read that? No, but it sounds great. It's, I have not checked it it's out. Deep reading. No, I'm kidding. It, it's, it's a picture board book, but. But he he relates every um, emotion to a color. So he'll say, you know, some days I feel red and I'm angry and I'm loud. Other days I'm gray and I'm sad and I'm down. And so every page is a different color, but it also reflects a different emotion that the child might feel. And at the end, I think it finishes with like a rainbow saying, you know, these are all my many color days and these are all okay. That's a great message for kids, but for all of us too. I think empaths need to learn that they have a right to be angry and they have a right to be sad and they have a right to be happy. And not have to make an excuse or defend it or explain it. Yeah. In the sense of, as you were speaking, I was thinking about when we feel things at such, such a depth, it is all of the color moods because it's not just feeling happiness, joy, love, connection. It's feeling grief or pain. Or I got a note the other day from a woman who her neighbor had gone through a really horrific situation. And she sent me this note and she said, what can I do? To, she said, I internalized all of it. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to release this. And because I can't be any of any use to my friend if I'm as depleted from what happened. I think that in relationship or friendships or work environments, we need to find a way to, I mean, we all keep throwing around that word empower, but that's really, really a key to make it okay for ourselves to be who we are, to be. It's a stellar day, the day that you, you admit to yourself and can say out loud to someone else, I'm really, really sensitive and that's okay. And, and instead of say, instead of defending it or trying to make it okay for the other person. Yeah. That's a, no, that's, that's an absolutely great thought. What, sometimes the other fine line I walk with being an empath is I can be kind of judgy of people who aren't empaths. And that's something I struggle with. Like if you're, my friend and I were talking about this, he's going through a really difficult situation and he called a friend to talk about it. And all she did was talk about herself the whole time. And he was like, she didn't even see that I needed to talk about this really, you know, dramatic, difficult thing going on in my life. And after we hung up, I saw a cartoon and it was, um, it was a, like a cocktail party. And one of the guys was bleeding from the neck and all this blood is coming out. And the other person is chatting away. And at the end, she goes, oh, are you bleeding? <laughs> 
<laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's what I mean. So sometimes I have a hard time understanding people who aren't empathic and I tend to avoid them. I don't think that's a good thing. I'm not recommending that. But if I'm around someone who tends to talk about themselves all the time, tends to always turn the focus back on them, tends to diminish anything I'm trying to share in the relationship, I will try to lessen that friendship. And I was reading this book of essays by a woman, I think her name is Brianna West, and she was saying, if you're going through your life avoiding all negative people, you're avoiding your life lessons because part of life is dealing with negative people. Now, I'm not saying all people who aren't empathic are negative people, so please don't think I'm making that leap. But Alyssa, I'd love to hear your opinion on that. You know, should empaths avoid people that don't have that equal exchange of energy? Or is that part of our lesson is to learn how to how to empathize with them and for them and engage them so that we can learn to set our boundaries? Does that question make sense? I feel like I just ran. No, it totally makes sense. I mean, the other thing that I would challenge everyone to think about is that like, you can have a negative experience with another empath too, right? Like, that can also be an opportunity for things to kind of um, flare up potentially or create a scenario where, you know, you have these negative things to negative opportunity to address. So no guarantee that like we'll always have positive, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. No guarantee that we'll always have positive experiences with other empaths. Yeah, I think, you know, so I always say like it's a balance, right? It is, I think, helpful to have folks in your life who are non-empaths, who are non-highly sensitive people, but that you get to decide how they show up in your life and how much you kind of allow them in, right? So, you know, I certainly have friends who are not empaths, likely not highly sensitive people either. And, you know, I'll, I'll go hang out and have dinner with them or we'll go to brunch or I'll go connect with them. And it's not quite as easy as when I'm with a close friend who is an empath or a highly sensitive person, but I value other things about them. You know, there are different things about them that I click with or connect with or really enjoy doing with them. But for me, anyway, they're not the people I go to when I want to have like a deep reflective conversation. Because that's just not something that they have the same capacity for. So if I want to like go shopping and chit chat about some other stuff, or I want to like maybe talk about my career things, you know, I have a broader range of people to do that with, both my empath friends and my non-empath friends. But when I really want to like reflect on this like kind of deep, intense thing, or there's something that I'm really grappling with, I I call different people. You know, my my reaching out is for the people who I know can like kind of meet me there and can also have a deep reflective conversation. Not to say that I never talk about deeper issues with my non-empath friends. I certainly do, but when I really need to deal with something, I'm I'm going to different people. Like that's who I tap into because I feel like we're more on the same page in terms of that like kind of level of conversation. Yeah, that's where I usually go. That's a great point. So recognize what your friends bring to the table and what you bring to the table and mm-hmm. match it up with your needs. So if you're going for soup, don't reach for a fork. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Now, you talk a lot about the three-step pathway to a powerful relationship. Can you kind of break that down for listeners and and what you mean by that? Sure, yeah. So 
When I'm working with folks, generally we go through kind of like three phases in our, our work together for the most part. And the phases that we move through are exploration, clarity, and action. So exploration is really this place of kind of identifying the source of the challenge. Like what is the, the crux of what brings the person into the work? We're moving through kind of identifying their strengths learning more about are they an empath, a highly sensitive person, are they a high sensation seeker, which kind of integrates in there too. We're exploring their beliefs, their patterns of thinking, or we're moving into a place of starting to build confidence and just setting goals. We're setting kind of some preliminary goals about, you know, why we're here, what we want. And then we're moving into clarity. When we're really getting clear on who the person is, we spend a lot of time getting clear on what they bring to a relationship what they want in someone else. You know, what is that very clear vision that you have of an ideal relationship, an ideal partner? Visualizing that, getting super clear on that, learning more about your values, taking the shoulds out of the equation, right? I should do this, I should do that, I should do that, right? And moving into a place of like, what do you actually want? Appreciating your sensitivity, appreciating your empathic nature, and then learning a little bit more about what relationship or type of partner is best for you. Some people do really well with non-empath, non-highly sensitive people as a partner. Some folks do better with another highly sensitive person as a partner. So exploring that, you know, you can't plan for chemistry, certainly, but you can think a little bit more about what qualities in a partner you tend to click with or do better with. Being able to connect with your intuition around, you know, especially when you're first interacting with someone and learning more about them. And then we move into this action phase where we're really taking specific action steps based on what you want, you know, holding that vision in mind, what steps do we take to get you closer? And then we dive in and address all the bumps <laughs> that come up along that path. That sounds like it's a, such a workable process for folks. You're giving them back the reins on where they want to direct their life to go next. That's fabulous. Absolutely. And even though it's this kind of deeper work, you know, it can be fun too. We can make it fun and light in some ways, right? Like there can be some kind of adventure and, and lightness to it if, if you allow it to be there too. So it doesn't have to be always so heavy. I think it's so important for that, for an empath to hear that. I know sometimes when I'm doing coaching or just talking to clients, I'll have them write a mission statement for their, for their year. And I, and I ask them to condense what they want for themselves in one sentence in that year, kind of like a thesis sentence for your, for your life. And 99.9% .9 of the people who do it, when they write their sentence, it's all about other people. I want to help other people do X, Y, and Z. I want to work on my healing abilities so I can help people do this, this, and that. I want to be there for my family. I want... And I always send it back and say, these are lovely statements, but what do you want for you? And I think it's hard for the empath or the HSP to really think about that because it, it's not normal for them to feel, I guess selfish isn't the right word, but it's the only one coming to mind. I guess maybe self-focused would be a better word. So I think working with a coach is so important because it's, it's inviting someone in your life who gives you permission to be your own cheerleader. So tell people a little bit about what coaching with you looks like. How does it work? Sure. Yeah. Um, so coaching with me starts off with 
just an initial free call where we just hop on the phone together in a very kind of easy, open way. And I ask the person a little bit about what's going on. I describe my style. And that's really the kind of easiest way to get to know each other, to learn if we're a fit for each other and if I feel like I can be helpful with what's going on. And if not, you know, I certainly help try to connect people to someone else. If we do feel like we're a good fit and, and that we would be good to work together, then we kind of explore what that looks like. So the, the first interaction is just a kind of free, no commitment call. And then when we decide to work together, then we start to kind of dive in and, you know, we're moving into these phases that are kind of described and just learning more about how to tailor these things to fit your unique needs. And generally, I work with folks for like four to six months, kind of depending on where things are, sometimes longer, but that's generally like the initial amount of time. Do you give them homework or assignments? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, it kind of depends a little bit on where we are and what we're talking about and just kind of the person's what they need. But yeah, so often I'm giving them journaling assignments or assignments just to think about certain things to notice and bring attention to during the week. When we're moving into more of an action phase, sometimes we're gently figuring out like if you're looking to meet another highly sensitive empath person, like where do they spend time? Let's get you moving out there. So it, the, the assignments may look different, but they're really to kind of support whatever we're working on in that period of time. Sometimes one of the ones that I tend to always do with folks in the beginning, and I've heard you guys discuss sort of similar things in other shows, but talking about the like, is that mine kind of game for empaths, right? Like, what are you picking up on? Is it yours? Is it someone else's? What is that emotional intensity that you're feeling? Is that truly something that's going on for you? Or is that coming from a different person? And kind of getting clearer on where you end and another person starts. So that tends to be some of the early assignments, but, you know, they can really depend on what the person is needing in between sessions. Uh, I think that, so you do most of your work virtually, so phone or Zoom. How would people be able to get a, a best hold of you? Do you have a long wait list? Is there a process that works better for you, email or leaving a call, so that we can direct people in your, your way? Sure. Um, yeah, it's a couple of different ways. They all work. So yes, I work with folks virtually or by virtually via, via Zoom or by phone. So, you know, I kind of work with folks all over. So they're welcome to do one of two things. They can just in, go right on my website and schedule a free call. That's no problem. They can just book themselves on there for a free call when I have a, an available space. Or they're welcome to email me. And then we can kind of just together work on a time to connect. Those are one of the two ways that they can email me or, you know, on my website, I have um, the link to schedule a free call under, I think it's under my work with me tab. So they're more than welcome to do that. And generally I start, I'm taking on new clients now. I usually start with one or two new ones each, each month since you know, it's a little bit more intensive in the earlier phases. So I want to make sure I have the time and space for, for that person. So yeah, that's kind of the best way to talk with me. Thank you. And and your website is dralyssaadams.com, E-R-A-L-Y-S-S-A-A-D-A-M-S, just so folks are familiar with that. There's also, you've gifted our community with this incredible um, list of 
relationship tips for highly sensitive people. So we'll make a link to that as well. Thank you very much because I read through them and I thought this is such a helpful guide for so many of us, whether we're 25, 55, 85, just to remind ourselves what we deserve in relationship, but also how to navigate that a little more easily. So thank you. Of course. Yes. You're welcome. It's dralyssaadams.com slash empath to get that free list of the 10 qualities. And we will link that on our Facebook page and I'll put it in the show notes as well. So we thank you so much for coming on the show, Alyssa. We really appreciate you sharing your wealth of experience and insights and knowledge with all of our listeners. And we really hope that people listening to this reach out to you because I think it's, I know this is this holiday season of giving to others. I think it's so important for the empath to learn to give to themselves as well and to give themselves a gift of their own personal cheerleader. I think it's such a wonderful way to start out the new year. I agree. So thank you, thank you, thank you. DrAlyssaAdams.com for more information. Again, if you don't have pen and paper, if you're driving while listening to this, just go to our Facebook page, Enlightened Empaths, and we will have all of the links to Dr. Adams' website on there. We thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. You can also find us on YouTube and Spotify. If you want to send us a question for our next community connections or a story, you can send us a message on Facebook or you can email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to always show up, do great work, and share your light. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.